past week, my daughter Allie, uh, as you saw in the picture, uh, she uh, got home from Indiana where she was serving for several days. And then when she arrived back in Kentucky, and back home for her is Kentucky now, uh, she, she spent a couple days in Louisville. And then she got on an airplane and went to Atlanta. While she was in Atlanta, she FaceTimed me uh, for about 30 seconds, telling me she was okay. And then she said, okay, I'm off to Paris. She flew to Paris, uh, and where they had a seven-hour planned layover. When she got to Paris, uh, she sent the entire family, we have a, a family text, at 10.16 a.m. on January 10th saying, quote, leaving for Egypt soon, love you guys, unquote. And then on January uh, 11th, uh, we got a, a FaceTime from Allie saying that uh, she was good. She was good to go, and she was going to bed. Now, I didn't give you a lot of information, not a lot of details. I told you all kinds of travels that Allie did, but I don't know those significant details. I don't know really what her travel was like when she was driving back from Indiana to Kentucky. I don't know what she did as she took the plane from Louisville. I don't know who she sat next to going to Atlanta. And as they had their switching planes in Atlanta, I don't know who she sat next to. I don't know what she did in Paris. I don't know who she's rooming with in Egypt right now. I don't have a lot of details of what's going on in Allie's life. I don't know if she's talked to anyone about serving Jesus Christ and, and giving them uh, the gospel conversation. But if you gave me some time, I probably could interview Allie. I probably could read some of the things she's written, some of her personal notes. And I probably could uh, give you much more details. And maybe I could even uh, skip some of those details because I knew there was some juicy, good story at the end that I'd want to get to. You know, anything that I personally experienced, I'd probably tell you those in detail. Well, today we're going to find ourselves traveling with Dr. Luke. And we're going to we're going to see this journey that Paul's taken in 16 verses. He's going to go a lot of different places. Um, in fact, we saw in his first journey he took like 15 plus stops. Paul did that Luke identified uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. On his second trip, it was 19 stops, something like that. And now we're on his third journey, his third journey, and we're on stop number four right now in Ephesus. So we're, we're jumping into chapter 20 where they're getting ready uh, to go. And, and, and we're going to cover today 18, 19 stops that... Uh, that Dr. Luke is identifying of what Paul is up to. However, just like in my opening story, Dr. Luke doesn't give us a lot of details. He skims over them pretty quick. Whether he knows those stories, or he knows the details, or he doesn't, for whatever reason, 
he doesn't give us a lot of information until we get to about verse 7. And, and so, so we have to look at all kinds of other scriptures, all kinds of other notes that Paul wrote in order to kind of put this all together. So uh, we're going to move through this portion of scripture, and I'm going to try to be your travel guide. I, I think I could be a pretty good travel guide in this. Um, studied it quite a bit. And we're going to see what he did, what Paul did, what his team did, where Luke came in. And, and the whole goal here, and, and we see this over and over from Paul, is his whole goal is how can he keep being a kingdom builder? He wants to keep building the kingdom of God. He wants to keep being used to be a builder of the kingdom of God. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we ask for uh, your guidance. We ask that you uh, teach us today. We ask that my words are your words and that you could be glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, I think it would behoove us that before we move forward that we look quickly back to Acts chapter 19 and we find out how we got to this point uh, of where Paul is leaving Ephesus. In, in 19, he, he's in Ephesus and he's ministering there. He's there for three years at Ephesus. <coughs> and, and he's enjoying his time. He's loving his time because he's training disciples. In fact, He's training disciples so well that they're going to go out and, and uh, be church planners themselves. And we have this screen right here, Josh. And these are the seven churches identified in the book of Revelation. And, and those were most likely from the disciples in, in Ephesus, which was one of the churches. And, and we see that the, the fruits of what... Paul was doing his labor with these disciples, and that's why it's such a huge thing uh, that Paul kept discipling these guys. And he had some major ministry to accomplish back in Jerusalem, so he needed to get going. So he's telling all these people, hey, man, I love you, I appreciate you, uh, but we got to get going. Acts 19, verse 21 and 22 says... Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul, he sent Timothy, he sent Erastus ahead into Macedonia, probably to Philippi or Thessalonica, maybe even Berea. He sent them ahead. Why? Because he wanted to let them know, kind of pave the way, that Paul was going to come to him. It's, it's like if I sent uh, Molly ahead of me and I said, hey, Molly, go over to Josh's house and, and, and let Josh know and Samantha that I'm going to come over there right after I have my meeting. And Molly goes ahead and she's there. She may be there for a while because maybe my meeting's running long. But Molly's paved the way. They know I'm going to be coming. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're probably also saying, hey, get, get your offering ready. You're supposed to be taking an offering every time you meet together. <coughs> get it ready, because Paul's coming, and he's going to pick it up. Remember, 
Remember the offering? Uh, Galatians, in Galatians 2, Paul was explaining that um, when, when they were kind of decided that Peter would, he would minister to all the, the Jews and that, uh, uh, um, that Paul would get to go the other direction and, and minister to the Gentiles, they said, okay, go for it. You have our blessing. But what does it say? He says in verse 10 of Galatians 2, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing, Paul says, the very thing I'm eager to do. He was so excited to remember the poor. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to, to get that money gathered together and take it down to Jerusalem and give it to the poor there. So the plan was, was to go to Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. And after that, must go to Rome. So here's a picture. This is of, of the kind of the Roman Empire at the time. And if we go to the next one, it'll zoom in a little bit. And, and so Paul's here at Ephesus. He's saying, I'm going to come right around here. I'm going to come down to Achaia, which is uh, Corinthians and uh, Corinth and, and Athens. And then after that, right after I get down there, I'm going to go... I'm going to go southeast, and I'm going to go into Jerusalem eventually. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to go to Rome, which is over here. And then later on, he says, even to Spain. That's his plan. That's his game plan uh, of what he wants to do. Um, so let's see if that comes to fruition. While he's preparing to leave Ephesus the first time, there's this guy named Demetrius, who's a silversmith and and, and he, he's designing uh, uh, these statues uh, of the goddess uh, Artemis. And, and he's designing these statues, and he's selling them, and he's making big money. Him, him and other craftsmen, well, they get ticked at Paul. Not because Paul's a bad guy, but because Paul is leading these people to Jesus Christ. And when they're leading them to Jesus Christ, they aren't buying these false gods anymore. So they're losing money, hand over fist. That's their whole livelihood. That's their business. So Demetrius, he starts getting people uh, uh, riled up and, and getting them angry. And then all of a sudden, I think the scripture says, Luke identifies in there, he says, the people didn't even know what they were mad about. He just got them, it was like a, a, a fake uh, protest. And so they all get together and they're all screaming, I think for Two hours, Scripture says. They're just screaming. And then finally, eventually, the town clerk comes in. And, uh, he, he says, okay, calm down, calm down. We got this taken care of. and uh, you, They've done nothing wrong. They're, they're, not, they're not going after you. They're just sharing the gospel, basically. And, and he got them all under control. But Paul, he wanted, before the town clerk came in, Paul said, hey, I want to go in there. I'm going to go talk to them all. He probably thought it was an opportunity to share the gospel. But his disciples, they said, no way. It will be dangerous if you go in there. If you go in there, you could get hurt or even killed. And we can't have that. So they, they took him away. And that gets us to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased. So there's the uproar. Paul sent for the disciples, referring to the disciples here in Ephesus, 
And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. You see, Paul continuously was focused on building the kingdom of God, individually and as groups. And verse 1 holds the key to our first point of how we can maybe imitate the apostle. We can do that by sincerely encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sincerely encouraging them. You see, Paul had his disciples together. And, and, and he gave them great encouragement. He gave them great love. Paul thought that this was going to be his last time ever with them. That's the way he thought it. He thought, hey, I'm not going to see these guys again. I need to make sure they know that I love them, that I care about them, that I appreciate them, uh, that they uh, are very special in the eyes of the Savior. And, and, and Paul's tireless effort in expanding the church and loving the church uh, was, was evident, not just for the church, but for the individuals within the church. And I thought about me. I thought about you. How, how are we encouragers? How do you as an individual encourage people in your life? You see, encouragement comes in all kinds of different ways. All kinds of ways you can offer encouragement. But it has the same focus, doesn't it? When you encourage someone, it's spurring them on. It's moving them forward. It, it's guiding them towards something. I remember while on my honeymoon that one of our goals was to read multiple books while on our honeymoon. And one of the books that uh, Sherry and I both read was uh, by my uncle, Gary Chapman. He's not my uncle, but uh, The Five Love Languages. And you talk about a book that really helped me to understand about encouraging someone in a unique style, understanding who they were as an individual, and then offering them encouragement. You guys remember the five love languages? I'm guessing many of you have read it. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And, and so when you understand what the other person's love language is, you can provide that. If I am in quality time, you can know, man, I've got to spend some time with Phil. I, I've got to, let's go to lunch. Let, let's, let's talk on the phone. Let, let's go to a movie together. You know, you may not even talk at the movie, but you're spending time with that person. So you, you kind of figure that out and you offer them encouragement. It could be a pat on the back. Encouragement could be just a simple pat on the back or a hug. Some people uh, send flowers and give a card. Might I suggest Jewel as a, as a place to buy your flowers? I, I, I'm a big fan of buying flowers at Jewel and they have nice flowers for not a lot of cost. How about writing notes to someone? You know, the handwritten note is powerful these days. Even a text just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. That, that's something that, that I have utilized with several people. Uh, Dr. Peggy Franklin is an example. Uh, she's in Colorado uh, at a school out there. I just text her every once in a while words of encouragement. 
and, and she'll respond back extremely quick. It, it's just about lifting somebody up sincerely. Maybe if someone's hurting, you, you help them out, you figure it out. I was telling, reminding people that uh, the Burtons, Nancy and Nathan Burton, they had an accident at, at their house. Someone hit their cars while they were parked in their, they were in their house and, and completely demolished their two cars. And, and so I reached out to Nancy. How can we help you as a church? We love you. We care about you. What can we do? You, 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 when people are down, you lift them up. You offer encouragement. Praying for other people. That's a, that's a great thing. Let them know what you're praying about. I did that to, uh, to Bob's son, Doug. I said, I love you, Doug, and I'm praying for you. Let them know that. Let people know that. And if you're introducing somebody, tell a great quality about that person that you're introducing. You know, if I'm introducing Bill, I'm going to say Bill is he, he's one of the pillars of this church. He is a servant of God's. This, this is my friend Bill. Introduce him. Just being present sometimes is crucial. We've experienced that during deaths, during tough times. Sometimes it's just about sitting there and being present, being available. Ways to encourage. And, and Paul, he did that all the time. He's writing all these churches and he's saying, I'm coming to you. He's sending people ahead. Hey, let them know I'm coming. Because he wanted to be present with them. He wanted to be with them. But he understood that, man, I got to keep moving, though. The Holy Spirit's got me keep moving, but I still want to be present with these people. I want to love on them. Being part of this church, that's a big deal. Uh, that's a big thing. It, it offers encouragement when you come here on Sunday morning or, or a part of small group. Uh, when you come to special events, Hebrews 10 reminds us that we should continue to be with one another, gather with them, and, and, and it offer encouragement. When we went to the nursing home uh, and sang Christmas carols, many of you were there. You saw the encouragement that it gave those people there. That, that was a wonderful thing. And everything I, I, I've studied, I think that Paul thought uh, that this was the last time he's with these people in Ephesus, and he's like, I've got to do a final bit of encouragement to them. I've got to bring them together, and I've got to love on them. Scripture says that, that at times people were kissing Paul's neck. He was a compassionate man. He wasn't compassionate uh, because he loved people just because he wanted to be nice. He was compassionate because he saw what they could become in Jesus Christ. And he didn't want anyone left out of the kingdom. That's the beauty. That's the whole premise of, of this message. Is that it's about building God's kingdom. And we get to be part of that. I got to see that this week. That somehow I was part of adding to his kingdom. And that's a pure joy that we should be going after. And we could do that through encouragement. But who do you encourage? Kids? Adults? Who do, we, who do we encourage? Think of that person. Who should or could you offer encouragement to? Whether it's through a handwritten note or pat on the back. Sometime during this message, 
Write that down on your outline or, or in your phone. Who is someone you could encourage, that you could spur on, that you can, that you can bring together? Who is that? All right, let's move on. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So another way we can focus on building the kingdom of God is seeking ways to help those in need. Seeking ways to help those in need. Paul could have taken a, a boat and, and headed southeast to Jerusalem. From Ephesus, he could, have, he could have snuck his way down, right down to Jerusalem, and, and, and got there well within time before the Passover ever happened. But he understood of his promise, and what he was eager to do was to gather money for the poor. So he could take that to Jerusalem with him. So here's the map again. And Paul's in Ephesus. He could have gone down to Jerusalem down here. Instead, he goes up to Troas initially, which is about a 12-day walk uh, for Paul. And, and he goes there, and, and he's hoping to catch up with, uh, with uh, Titus there, who, who he sent Titus earlier. He sent Titus from Ephesus. He sent him over uh, to Corinth, and, and, and he said, uh, maybe was, they were even in Jerusalem, and he sent them over there, and he said, hey, find out how they're doing. Okay, Titus, go to Corinth. Find out how they're doing uh, after that uh, first letter I sent them, because that was a heavy letter. And, and, and bring us back report, let's meet at Troas. Well, while he's sitting there, he's sitting at Troas waiting, I don't know how long, and he's like, no Titus. Titus is a no-show. So he, he moves on. And, and, he, and he moves up, eventually getting to Philippi. While he's at Philippi, uh, he's uh, picking up the money as, as of all the established churches. Remember, these are the last time in his mind, this is the last time he's going to Troas. This is the last time he's going through the Macedonia area. So he's stopping at Philippi. He's probably going to stop at all of these places. This is the last time in his mind I'm stopping at these places because I'm going all the way around and then I'm going from, from this, the, the Achaia area and I'm going to go across to, to Jerusalem. And so finally at Philippi, he meets up with Titus. And Titus had a great encouraging uh, report from Corinth. He said the people are doing great. Most likely at that point, he wrote... 2 Corinthians, and, and, and great encouragement uh, that, that it was, <clears throat> and, and he, was, he was very excited. Miles after miles after miles after miles, Paul is, is going around collecting money for the poor. This isn't, he's not lining his own pockets with this. He's doing it because he knows there's, there's a great need, and Paul does that and then it's not even on this map but the, there's a there's a town up here in the north uh, west corner called uh, Illyricum Illyricum Illyir, Illyricum there you go Illyricum I couldn't say it Illyricum 
And from my best guess, that's when he snuck up there. We, he never identifies it, but in Romans 15.9, or 15.19, he talks about He says, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have come, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Illyricum, modern-day Albania. That's a 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. He traveled all that way, 1,000-plus miles in the, in the sense, by land and water and sea and, and on foot, on donkey. And he traveled all these ways to help the needy. Yes, in the same time, he's encouraging people. He's basically saying goodbye. He's basically spurring them on, saying, move on forward. And after Illyricum, he worked his way down, I'm guessing, and then into Achaia, into Athens and, and Corinth. Huge. Huge amount of traveling. For the needy. How about you? I asked that question just a minute ago about encouragement. But how about you for the needy? How are you seeking ways? Notice that first word in there is seeking. Seeking ways to help those in need. Paul was seeking ways to help people in need. In our study next week, Acts 20, 35, it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 19:17 says, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him from his deed." Galatians 6:2, "Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." Dozens and dozens and dozens of verses in scripture talk about helping the needy, finding opportunities to support one another, to to love on them. Deuteronomy 15.11 For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. It's not about a closed fist. It's about an open hand. How are you helping the needy? Matthew 5.42 Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we should take this serious, because we know God takes it serious with all of these scriptures about taking care of the needy. We have opportunities every Saturday at the Nice Center where we can directly support people that are in, in need, and we can get to know them. You know, there's this guy... When I'm going to work in Lockport and I'm coming up that exit, I think it's 134, I might, I might, that might be the wrong exit, but it might be that exit, and I come up there and I'm ready to go on Briggs Street, there's this guy that stands there, and I've given him money, but he's not there all the time, but I don't know his name. I, I haven't really met a need. I may have given him money to go to McDonald's or, 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 or 
whatever for the meantime, but how am I meeting his need? I need to get to know who he is. I need, I, I need to understand what's going on in his life. And maybe it's a family down the street that you know about. Man, I could tell something's going on there. They're, they're struggling. Every month, the elders, we get together. We're getting together next, next Monday. And we look over our whole church family, all the people that regularly attend a Village Bible Church in all of the campuses. And we identify, we look at every individual name, and we, we start identifying who has spe some special need that we could be meeting, that we could be praying about, that we could reach out about. And we start looking at those and trying to identify those because we want to be intentional. We want to seek those opportunities. When I hear something within this congregation, I'm immediately reaching out to you as an individual. When I hear it, I want to go after it right away. Because if we let it sit there, well, I'll, I'll, I'll communicate with them later. I'll touch base with them later. All of a sudden, that need is, is put back on the back burner because we have too many things in our own personal lives. And that's the thing. Paul wasn't considering his own personal life in all this. Because if he was thinking about himself, he wouldn't have traveled all of that time. Maybe he had enough money already from an offering that he got at Ephesus. Ah, that will be enough for them. And I'm just going to take that down. So many times we focus on our own needs. And I'm talking to myself right now. As opposed to the needs of those around us. And this goes for young and old. This isn't just for, for long-time mature Christians. This is for, for baby Christians. We need to be meeting the needs of other people. Because that helps give us opportunities to share the gospel in dynamic ways. When I, when I share Dabu with somebody in Ethiopia, bread... That gives me a great opportunity to share them, uh, talk to them about the bread of life. And that's what we're looking for. Opportunities to not only meet their need right here on earth, but we want to be able to feed them for eternity. Don't just sit back, wait for them. Go after them. Seek them out. And on your list that you're making uh, of who you can encourage, think about who you can also meet a need. Maybe it's the same person. Moving on. Verse 3. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. All right, map again. So here's the map, a little bit more uh, zoomed out. So he, he's in this area, probably at Corinth. He's there for three months. Uh, he... he uh, Probably had a, had a lot of different stuff he could take care of there. And his whole goal is he's going to Corinth and he's going to go all the way down to Jerusalem eventually. He's probably going to make several stops on the way only to change boats or drop off uh, some cargo and that type of stuff. Um, but a lot of people wanted to get to Jerusalem at this time because the Passover was coming. 
So if you were a Jew, you needed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That's where the, that's where the Passover would be celebrated. That's the only location. So all the people coming on these boats, all the travelers, they're getting on these boats to go. And these Jews, just like Paul or Saul, as he was referred to back then, just as Saul was killing people because of the, their faith in Jesus Christ, well, that's the same thing that these people have about Paul. They want to kill him. Paul says later on in, in, in one of his other letters that, man, I was going to be killed basically daily. I had to look over my shoulder all the time. And so Paul realizes, I can't do this. I'm going to get killed. If I go on that boat, they're going to kill me, throw me overboard, and no one's going to hear from me again. And imagine if Paul did get killed right there. So many books of, of the Bible probably wouldn't have been written. Now, we're, we're, I'm, I, I think the way I read it, uh, Romans was, was probably just written while he was here for three months. Uh, he, had, he had already written, written uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, Galatians might have been written at that time. It could have been written a little bit earlier while he was in Philippi. But we don't know when Galatians was exactly written or where it was. But the Holy Spirit somehow guided Paul away from going uh, on that boat. And instead, he goes north. So instead of going southeast, Paul says, okay, here we go. We're going to go back the old-fashioned way. And he reverses it. He's going back up through Macedonia. All the people he thought he just was saying goodbye to. He's going to go see him again. And this is going to cost him. He's not going to be able to get there by Passover. He eventually changes his goal uh, to get there uh, uh, by Pentecost, which is 50 days after. Okay, verse 4, 5, and 6. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, uh, are... Aristarchus and uh, Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So, real quick, we'll go back to that. So, they're up in Philippi. And he sends all of these people down to Troas, which is a couple-day couple day boat trip. Sends them down there. Most of Paul's life was done with companionship. When we see his ministry, we do not see him doing a lot of stuff alone, do we? Most of the time, he's with other people he's accompanied by other people and, and the holy spirit guides them and, and and they help him build the kingdom they allow themselves to be the conduit for for the lord not as a single person but as a group and paul's he was doing ministry as a group right here so our, our third point and something that we definitely need to be focused on is sharing ministry with fellow Christians, sharing ministry with fellow Christians. And, and you see all these people I just named who have all uh, different types of names. 
he picked up along the way. When he was in Berea, he picked him up. Pick him up. Get, on the, get in the boat. Get on the, in the car. And, and, and they traveled with him. Why? Because if a place was, was donating money, he gave them an opportunity to go with that money and go with them to present it in Jerusalem. And while he's doing that, he is gathering disciples that are going with him that he just continuously trains. We, we saw this companionship in, in, in Ephesus. I already talked about that. All the people that he built up and he, and, and he said, go out. This is a multiplication factor. I can't do this by myself. I have to have people. That, that's the whole focus of church is that, that we want to come together. It's not a one-man show. It has to be a group of people. The pastor can't be doing all the ministry in, a, in any given church because it, it, it's about the flock going out and then sharing the gospel with people. When we come together as a church, we come together to look at God's word and, and to understand it and, and then take that message and go out and share it with other people so we can, what, build up the kingdom. We're expanding the kingdom. That's the whole goal in all of this, is expanding the kingdom. So we all need to get involved. From the youth to the adults, everyone has to get involved in building the kingdom. And that's the entire purpose of reflecting on what God has, has done in uh, and through us as a, as a church. That's what we do for the all-in campaign. We're not doing it just to raise money to, to meet financial needs. We're doing it also for self-reflection. Meaning, what has God done amongst us as, as multiple campuses? And how can we use our gifts to continue to expand that, to continue to move that message out to other people. So Paul's gathering these fellow ministers uh, in, in the way, and, and eventually travels 440 miles from Corinth, gets all the way up there, a 20-day trip uh, into Philippi, and, and, and then he finally reconnected. Scripture says he finally reconnects with Luke because the he... And, and, and his and him changed to us and we. Dr. Luke finally meets up with them at Philippi on his second, second time around. And, and they're there, and they send all the leaders to Troas. So, like I said, the, the trip, they're from Philippi to Troas, it, it takes just a couple days. And, and while they're there, uh, they... I don't know what the guys were doing there. Maybe they were arranging a trip to Jerusalem. They were getting the boat ready. They were getting supplies ready. They were figuring all the paperwork out. But we just know that they were at Philippi for another seven days until the day of the Lord, uh, which would have been um, Sunday. By the time, by the time they, they caught up with them in Troas, they waited there for seven days. And when they're at Troas, now Paul... And, and Luke and all of those other guys, they're at Troas, and they're, they're going to leave the day after Sunday. So they're going to leave on Monday morning. So back to verse 7, and we're going to move through the remaining verses. 
appreciate you sticking with me. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to take bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So if we want to have our focus on being kingdom builders of God, we need to be spending time with fellow believers. We need to be spending time with fellow believers. And, and we know that. We understand that. This is, this is our final point. It has three sub-points with it, and we'll get to those in a second. But this is the first time in all of Scripture, when, when we talk about chrono, chronologically speaking, where it talks about us getting together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, on the day that the Lord was resurrected. Because Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sabbath is on Saturday. We can go, we could probably have a whole sermon just talking about that. But this is the, the Lord's Day that they're meeting and gathering together, and, and which Paul had said, this is, this is what we do. We come together on the Lord's Day. And, and, and they gather together, and I see three reasons why they gathered together. The first one, during this time with fellow believers, they were learning God's word and listening to the Holy Spirit. The second one, they were breaking bread and becoming intimate with the Creator. And the third, they were taking communion and turning over their sins to the Lord. And Paul's made sure that, that, that he's ready for the journey back to Jerusalem. But like the other places, he knows that this is probably the last time he's going to be with these people. He's been to Troas before, but this is going to be it. And these people are anxious. It probably took several days anyway to get everything ready for this journey back to Jerusalem. And, and, and so, so he says this is going to be it. Let's spend the Lord's Day together. Let's enjoy this time. And I'm going to share God's word with you. I'm going to take some Q&A. We're going to dig, dig into this. And, and Scripture says that they studied it for hours. Just like today. We're going to spend four or five hours into this message. <laughs> See the Eagles fan smiling there? But Paul's sharing everything he can think of as the Holy Spirit is, is urging them forward. And when you come to church, when you come to Village Bible Church or you go to any church that you ever go to, you should expect to hear God's word. Amen? That is not to be neglected. That is to be the first and foremost thing that your focus is on God's word, which comes in many different forms. But the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word is absolutely crucial when you gather together as fellow believers, to be encouraged and spurred on and move forward. We're, we're not a social club. That is what we are not. I love socializing with you guys. I love uh, talking with you guys and laughing with you guys. But our focus is moving forward with our love for Jesus Christ. And we do that through reading his word. We do it through hearing his word, through studying his word. When we're studying and reading and hearing his word, we have opportunities to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every single believer. And, and, and he wants to teach us and guide us 
but he's always going to point back to Jesus within the Trinity. That's his job. And, and, and we need to be in God's word to be guided and directed. That's why we worship God also through music. Through music. We want to praise God with our lips because of the great things he's done. Psalm 47, 6. I told Tom uh, he's going to like some of my sermons. Psalm 47, 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Do you know that the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing? I'm not a music guy. You guys know that. And I don't know if Paul was either. But I do know that Paul was a scripture guy. And he understood scripture extremely well. Better than I probably ever will understand scripture. And he understood that the entire book of Psalms was a book of songs. And, and, and I can guarantee that there was probably singing during this very lengthy service that lasted hours and hours and hours. The word is crucial. The word needs to be preached. That's why we take so much time at Village Bible Church to preach the word. We take a lot of time sharing God's word, studying God's word. We spend a lot of time, uh, we, we don't spend a lot of time on random topics. If we're doing topical sermon series, it's difficult for, for the, the five pastors that, that preach uh, on an ongoing basis because we're used to going verse by verse so we can understand what the author is saying and, and how the Holy Spirit is maybe guiding that. And those things are profitable when we, when we dig into uh, books and, and find out uh, nuances of Scripture. But I'll tell you what, the real meat is found in, in the Word. The real meat is found in the Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, probably many of you guys have this memorized. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God is infallible. It is complete in every way. It is the final authority and meets our every need. The word of God will always stay truthful and accomplish what it promises. Amen? Always. Check out these verses. Write those down. You can look at them later on. These are powerful verses about God's word. They don't just listen to Paul share the word. They also shared food together. They, they, they broke bread. I told Josh, I said, my plan almost was, when I made that statement about breaking bread together and, and eating together, I was going to have multiple pizzas brought in right at that point and, and start sharing pizzas with you guys. And he said, it would have been the best Sunday ever. <laughs> Joshua was excited about that uh, opportunity. We don't have the pizzas coming in. Uh, he said they had to be Casey's pizzas. Uh, Joshua did. But they broke bread. And, and that's something that, 
that is a, a great thing to do, it is to break bread uh, together, uh, digging in uh, and, and understanding who people are as we're enjoying our food. So many times when, when, when I'm trying to get to know somebody, uh, I'll go to lunch with them. I'll have some sort of food with them. And when we do that, it, it loosens people up. It, it helps people uh, kind of share who they are, explain uh, their life a little bit more, makes people more comfortable. And, and we got to remember uh, that these people, uh, they were... They were coming in, and they were probably hungry. You see, Sunday was a work day. <coughs> and and they, they were working all day, most of them. That's why they met in the afternoon and, and in the evening, if you will. Because they were working all day. And if they were slaves, they, they worked seven days a week. So it didn't matter anyway. And so they were working, and they needed to eat. They needed sustenance. And, and so they broke bread together. They fellowshiped one another. And, and, and Paul just kept preaching the word, sharing the gospel, teaching them. Look for opportunities in your own life, how you can break bread with other people, not just here at church, not just in our potlucks, which I love, but at your home. Sherry and I have instituted the, this thing where we look at our calendar before the month gets there, and we, we pick out... Uh, a Saturday that, that could work where we can invite somebody over, a family or, or, or a couple families. Last night it was her uh, brother, her, her sister and her brother-in-law and, and family. And, and we invited them. They don't come over all the time, and, and, and we extended it to her, her brother and sister-in-law as well, and uh, they weren't able to make it. But, but we want to just gather people together, enjoy food, fellowship, have fun, and get into the conversation about the Lord at some point. Find those opportunities to continue to build the kingdom, to continue to spur one another on. In particular, this verse, um, they had to eat because they were, they were very hungry, I'm sure. And Paul knew that. Paul understood that. And this was probably going to be the last time they ever heard the apostle. Imagine if, if, if it was the last time you were ever going to hear somebody. And that word spread. You're going to get a lot of people there to, to listen to it. In fact, the, the meeting was, was so, lasted so long that a young man fell asleep. Can you imagine that falling asleep at a church service? No, never. Let's go to the next verses, verses 8, eight through 12. There were, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. The Dr. Luke, who's the author of this book, just gives us a quick snapshot of this, this miracle 
Because the whole point of this was not about the miracle. It was for Eutychus. And that, that's a great miracle for him. But Dr. Luke wanted to point out that it wasn't about that. It was about the preaching of the word. What was the most important thing. You, you see, the lamps were in this upper room. They had worked all day, most of the people. And, and, and they were in this upper room. So it was probably getting hot and stuffy and all the oxygen was being pulled out by the lamps. And so Eutychus finds himself, opens the window, which was all the way to the floor, most likely. And he's like, oh, fresh air. That, is, that feels good. Eutychus might have been a, a slave. If he was a slave, maybe he was all the way up to age 30. Otherwise, he, he, he was probably in his teens. And, and he fell asleep. He got tired from his day's work and, and it probably felt comfortable. I, I always think, man, I should never take offense if someone falls asleep. If they do it with the great apostle, well, they by all means could do it with me. You know, just like Elisha and, and Elijah uh, laid on the kids, that's, that's what Paul did. He laid on them, he, he wrapped them up, and, and he brought them back to life. But it's not the big story. The big story is, is what they did. They went back up, and, and they broke bread. This time it's talking about communion. They had communion with one another. And then they talked about the, the word of the Lord until daybreak for another six hours. Another six hours. Taking communion and, and, and turning our sins over to the Savior is absolutely crucial. And we only do it once a month. I was going to have us do it a, a second time this week, too. Because, remember, when we're taking communion, we're reflecting on what Jesus has done for us and, and how he died on the cross and how his sins have now, been, uh, uh, have now been covered with his blood. Those are the things we're reflected on in, in communion. That's why Paul was doing that with them. That's why we're reminded to do that often. So we don't forget. It gives us a time of reflection, a time of, of, of seeking God for forgiveness, a, a pointed effort that we can seek him. His life given to us, his blood shed for us.